please turn once again to the book of Daniel and uh, we're going to continue uh, with a theme that we began last Lord's Day with regard to the spiritual battle in unseen places and invisible places between the, the forces of the Lord God, angelic forces, and between uh, the demonic forces of the enemy. Uh, but we're going to apply it more personally um, in the sermon today and in uh, a few more sermons uh, on this subject. But we're going to just, uh, again, to help you to remember where uh, this theme originates in Daniel chapter 10, verses 12 through 13. We read, Then said he unto me, that was the angel, uh, likely the angel Gabriel, said unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the king's of Persia. <clears throat> Often in churches when the subject of the unseen spiritual world is discussed, the focus tends to be primarily upon the work of Satan and his fallen angels. But little is said very often about the work of God through his holy angels in doing his will to protect, to care for God's people, to restrain evil and evildoers in this battle. Whether, again, the, uh, the angels are seen or unseen, whether the enemies are seen or unseen, Nevertheless, we know from what we have read that there is this battle that is going on in, in spiritual, unseen places. We may only think of God himself being the one who protects us, cares for us, restrains evil. But the scriptures tell us that God uses his, his mighty angels to carry out his will in the world, in the church. Uses his mighty angels to carry out his will in families and in our own lives. The Lord in, intends this to be an encouragement unto us, a great encouragement that there are innumerable unseen holy warriors of the Lord that accompany us in overwhelming numbers every day and throughout the night. 
Though the enemies of darkness are, are many, though they appear to be overwhelming in the nation, as we consider the corruption, as we consider the tyranny in governments, in our culture, by way of the depravity, the gross depravity and licentiousness that we see and in even churches today. However, these forces of evil, they are no match to Jesus Christ who has already overcome them through his glorious death, resurrection, and ascension into heaven. Nor are they any match to the holy angels of the Lord our God. And so, though we are going to be talking about this unseen world and focusing a little bit in the next few weeks on the enemy, we must ever keep in mind that we are not to panic, we are not to be afraid, we're not to be paralyzed with fear when we see the evil works of the devil all around us expressed in false religions, expressed by profanity and blasphemy against the Lord our God, against uh, expressed in tyranny and trampling upon the God-given rights that are ours, trampling upon uh, the divine institutions of family, church, and civil government, the expression by these enemies in spiritual places by way of sexual perversions of every kind used to be that these sexual perversions were hidden behind closed doors. But now they're parading it. Now it is public. Now it is open. Again, I, I don't know if Sodom and Gomorrah uh, was uh, to the point that we now are because we have these technologies to bring it into the, the room, the, the, the home of everyone. The expression of these enemies against the Lord our God in the murder of the unborn and the mutilation and trafficking of children, the mass murders, persecution of Christians, wars, and we can go on and on and on with the way in which the enemy is working all around us. And because that seems so visible to us, we are tempted by the enemy to think that these wicked forces are insurmountable. We're tempted to give up, to surrender, because we're tempted to think it is a hopeless battle that we fight against such powerful enemies. But dear ones, that is the lie of the father of lies, the devil. That's exactly what he wants us to think, that it's hopeless. 
we're doomed. Well, my hope is that over the next several sermons, that we might understand that our God, his angels, and the spiritual resources that he has given unto us, graciously given unto us, are far more powerful and efficacious in overcoming evil than anything that the enemy can bring against us. But we need to understand, that's why I'm focusing these sermons on this subject. We need to understand that one of the chief ways in which the enemy wins is through our ignorance. Our ignorance of this spiritual battle that we are involved in every day. That plays into his side. That, That gives him more power. Our ignorance gives him more power to discourage us, to accuse us, to deceive us, and to oppress us. By God's grace, let's dispel some of that ignorance today and in the next few sermons. So the sermon this Lord's Day is is going to be on the subject of knowing your enemy. God willing, next Lord's Day will be on the subject of knowing your enemy's tactics, how he works, how he tempts, how he misleads. And then after that, to to know the resources that God has given unto us to overcome the enemy. By way of review, first of all, the first main point, just uh, very quickly, uh, is this review. So this is a sermon that follows from the previous sermon, which you recall, introduced a spiritual battle between God's holy angels, namely Gabriel and Michael, and a fallen angel, uh, the prince of Persia, in Daniel chapter 10, verses 12 through 13. As we considered uh, those verses, we saw a battle in the unseen world uh, to influence King Cyrus, either to show his disfavor toward the Jews in hindering the rebuilding of the temple by means of the Samaritans who discouraged them, who brought the matter to the king in order for the king to stop them from rebuilding the temple in Ezra 4.4, or uh, to influence the king by way of the holy angels to influence the king to show his favor, to continue to show his favor to the Jews in supporting the work of rebuilding the temple. So this was a battle about which we, have, we would have no knowledge if the Lord had not revealed this to us, if he had not told us about this battle because we don't, we can't see. Uh, we, we would not know what was going on behind the scenes unless the Lord told us that this was going on. 
It was a very real battle, though it was unseen uh, to those who were living at that time. And though we considered briefly in the sermon last Lord's Day the spiritual warfare that rages between Christ's angels and Satan's demons and seeking to influence kings and nations, I want to turn that from a more broad focus uh, where it was upon nations and I want to turn it to a more personal focus and how the enemy seeks to defeat us, seeks to mislead, deceive us as God's people, our marriages, that which every day affects us. And so that's where I would like to turn our focus, that spiritual warfare that goes on. We do not see, and yet it's happening, and how we can be better equipped as God's people to render the enemy helpless by way of his attacks upon us. So the second main point then today is know your spiritual enemy. Now I'm not addressing this spiritual battle, talking about this spiritual enemy in order to frighten anyone, but rather to expose the enemy of our souls whose greatest weapon against us, as I said earlier, is our ignorance. Our ignorance of his deception, his lying, his hiding in the background while tempting us by the pleasures of this world and the lusts of the flesh. It's pretty easy to see the work of the enemy, is it not, in, in the perversity and corruption, the tyranny, the murder, the abortions, the trafficking. I mean, we can see, we can see the enemy at work in those very explicit ways. But how often do we think about the work of the enemy by way of the temptations that come our way daily? I mean, again, we are tempted by our own lusts and our own desires that come from within, but the enemy uses the world and the flesh. He uses those temptations in our lives. The really more common exercise of satanic power in this world is not in the mass murders that we see, which are satanic, satanically inspired, I, I would submit, but really the more common exercise is satanic power is by means of daily temptations. It's more, far more common, I would submit to you. Daily temptations to follow him rather than to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the adversary knows us very well. Uh, he has, as it were, a scouting report that's gone out by way of seeing, observing us. He can't see into our hearts, only God can see into our hearts. But he, through his fellow cohorts, observes 
and observes our, our strengths, observes our weaknesses. He knows where we're vulnerable by way of our, our having failed and fallen into temptations in the past. If he has such a scouting report on us, and I think that, that uh, before engaging in war, it's very important to have a scouting report about the enemy. Before engaging in some huge sporting context, some huge game, it's very important to know something about your opponent where their weaknesses are, where their strengths are. And so likewise, if we are going to do battle against the enemy of our souls, we need to know something about him. We need to know where his strengths and where his weaknesses are and how we can overcome him through Jesus Christ. If we know little about him, and that's what he wants us to continue to do, to know little about him. If we know little about him, I submit we are at a decided disadvantage from the outset because he knows a lot about us. We are warned, in fact, in scripture that our ignorance of our spiritual enemy will give him an advantage in our lives. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, the Apostle Paul says, Let Satan, or lest Satan should get an advantage of us. How would he get an advantage of us? Well, in the context, he's talking about forgiveness. And if we do not forgive, as God calls us to forgive, Paul says Satan can gain an advantage in our lives by way of bitterness, resentment, by way of, of other sins that it can lead us into. Lest, Paul says, Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices, of his evil purposes, how he works. Paul says we're not ignorant. And that's a good thing that we're not ignorant. And it's not a good thing when we are ignorant as God's people of this spiritual enemy. The most common names given to this enemy in scripture are first Satan, which means uh, adversary in Hebrew, Satan. His whole identity, his whole mission is to oppose God, to oppose God's will, to oppose and destroy what God has created, to destroy the institutions of family, marriage, church and state, and to destroy God's people. If he cannot take our lives to make us ineffective by way of sin, discouragement, by way of despair and hopelessness. This name Satan is used in the Old Testament several times. 
just some examples. In 1 Chronicles 21.1 says that Satan provoked David to number Israel. Why would that be a temptation uh, that is brought by Satan? Well, uh, to number the armies of Israel was, in that instance, to put a, uh, a, a particular trust and confidence in the armies rather than in God who protected them. And so to number the, uh, the people of Israel uh, was, in effect, to say, um, I, I want to make sure that I have enough uh, in, in serving me in this capacity militarily. And so it says, again, Satan provoked David to number Israel. And God brought, uh, in that situation, brought a plague. Uh, for David having done so upon Israel. We also see that Satan stood against God and against God's servant Job in the book of Job. We see uh, that in Zechariah uh, chapter 3, verse 1 and following, that in a vision God gave to Zechariah that Satan stood in this vision beside Joshua the high priest, accusing, resisting Joshua the high priest, the ministry, resisting the ministry, coming against the ministry. Satan, the word Satan is also used, or the name Satan is also used 34 times in the New Testament. Then there is the name devil which means slanderer, false accuser. He is called in Revelation 12.10, the accuser of the brethren. That is, again, one of his chief ways in which he comes against God's people is to accuse us in our consciences, um, uh, to accuse us before the throne of God. Um, again, um, there's a difference between Satan's accusations and the Holy Spirit's conviction. The Holy Spirit's conviction always drives us to the mercy of God, to flee to the Lord. Whereas, again, the, the condemnation and the accusations of Satan are those which, which drive us away from the Lord, which are intended to to say there's no hope, there's, no, there's, uh, there's nothing I can do to want to give up. Uh, those are the, the results and consequences of his accusations. Uh, the word devil doesn't actually appear in the Old Testament, the name devil, but it is used... Uh, 57 times in the New Testament. It is the more predominant name that is used for this spiritual enemy. Satan is also called uh, the God of this world in 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. Now, he's not the God of this world by right. He's uh, the God of this world by way of the majority of people that are deluded by him, deceived by him, in following him. And even uh, beyond their awareness, 
uh, obeying him, doing his will. In fact, he's the false god behind all of the false religions of this world. In the Old Testament, the sacrifices of pagans that they offered to their false gods, they thought they were, they were offering their sacrifices to their gods. But God says, no, you're offering your sacrifices to devils, to demons. In Deuteronomy 32, verses 16 through 17, we read, they, that is Israel, provoked him, the Lord, to jealousy with strange gods, with abominations, provoked they him to anger. They sacrificed unto devils, not to God, to gods whom they knew not, to new gods that came newly up, whom your fathers feared not. <clears throat> Likewise, in 1 Corinthians 10.20, the Apostle Paul in speaking against Christians going to pagan temples uh, to eat meat that had been offered to idols, not intending to worship uh, these false gods, but going to, to have a meal, to throw a party, a celebration at these locations where, again, meat was offered to these idols and then they would take the meat and and distributed amongst those who were uh, in uh, the, the complex, the temple complex there. And uh, the Apostle Paul says that uh, they ought not to do this. Christians ought not to do this. Not because the meat itself uh, is uh, contaminated or polluted because it was offered to an idol, because they could, they could eat it at home. And it would be perfectly okay, but it was going to the temple that, God, that the, Paul condemns. And he says, but I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they think they're sacrificing it to their gods. Paul says, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that ye should have fellowship with devils. <clears throat> the pagans thought they were worshiping their gods. Scripture says, but it was devils that they worship, and so it is today. In false, false religions of the world, they think that they're worshiping their gods, but likewise they are worshiping devils. It is satanically inspired, the false religions that turn people away from the one true living God. And then the devil is also called, <clears throat> in Ephesians 2.2, the prince of the power of the air, the prince of that region, because he is the acknowledged chief ruler among these spiritual enemies of God in the unseen world. Well, what else should we know about this spiritual enemy? Let me give you <clears throat> several items that I think is important for us to know about this spiritual enemy. First of all, Satan and his 
demon forces were originally created holy, but fell due to pride. In 1 Timothy 3.6, Paul is giving the qualifications for a minister. It says that a minister should not be a novice, someone who is new, um, someone who is untrained, uh, should not be a novice. Lest, Paul says, being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. That would appear to be why God's condemnation fell upon the devil was due to pride, the original sin of pride. <clears throat> Jesus said that hell was prepared for the devil and his angels in Matthew 25, 41. Those who follow the devil will suffer the same consequences of spending eternity in hell. They will join the demonic forces in that eternal place of torment. Those who do not trust in Christ alone and clothed in his righteousness alone. Secondly, another item about the enemy. According to scripture, Satan and his fallen angels are our chief, underline that, chief adversaries as Christians in this world rather than that which we see with our natural eyes in wicked, tyrannical rulers in depraved and perverse actions or in false religion. Our chief enemy, those are enemies. I'm not denying those are enemies. But our chief enemy, according to scripture, is Satan and his demonic forces, according to Ephesians 6.12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That is, I submit to you, what the scripture teaches is our chief enemy. <clears throat> you know, it's so important that we understand this truth, that we understand the true nature of this spiritual battle that's going on here upon the earth, <clears throat> which we cannot see, by way of the powers of, of darkness. And that we don't attribute the chief battle being between political parties. That we don't attribute the chief battle being a civil battle by way of laws that are legislated. Those are, again, appropriate matters for Christians to be very concerned about and to seek reformation in, using all lawful means to accomplish that. But those are not the chief battles. Those may be, again, the consequences, but the chief battle is between the forces of God and the forces of the devil in the unseen world. 
But if we focus all of our energy, or supremely focus our energy on what we only see, Satan's kingdom, I submit to you, advances on earth because we're not fighting a spiritual battle with spiritual weapons. We're fight, trying to fight a spiritual battle with carnal weapons, which Paul says we can't. We can't fight the enemy with carnal, earthly, fleshly weapons. We must do so with those spiritual weapons which the Lord has given unto us, which are indeed powerful to overcoming the enemy. Thirdly, the third item to know about Satan and uh, his demonic forces is that they are powerful, but they are limited. They are limited in power. Whereas God is omnipotent. God has no limitations to his power. Satan did not create God. God created him. Certainly as a holy angel who fell, but nevertheless, God's the creator, not Satan. Satan can only do what God permits him to do. He can't do whatever he wants to do, only what God allows him to do. You see, Satan's like a dog on a leash that can only go as far as the master will allow the dog to go. Sometimes more of the leash is given to the dog, sometimes less is given to the dog. So likewise, Satan is on a leash. He can't do whatever he wants. He's under the omnipotent power of God. He is beneath, he's been placed beneath the feet of our crucified, buried, resurrected, and ascended Savior and King. He's been placed beneath Christ's feet. <clears throat> we see again that permission of God in the example of Job. Job we see that in that case, Satan could not do whatever he wanted to do. He could only do what God allowed him to do in that situation. Likewise with Peter. Peter, Jesus says in Luke 22, um, sought permission to sift Peter like wheat. And he was given permission. But he could only go so far. He could not take Peter's faith away. Jesus says, when you, are, uh, when you have repented, when you've turned again, go and strengthen your brethren. Because the Lord was going to use even this fall in Peter's life to bring forth glory uh, to Jesus Christ. You see, God also uses Satan to bring judgment upon nations and upon people who rebel against the Lord. For example, in Revelation 9-11, there, uh, in symbolic terms, we see the Muslim invasion of many nations, and it's attributed to the work of Satan. 
It says in Revelation 9-11, and they had a king over them, which is, and again, th these are the, the Muslim uh, invasions. They had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, which means destruction. But in the Greek tongue hath his name Apollyon. The devil and his wicked forces, however, are not powerful enough. They do not have the power to change a person's heart and will. Only God can do that. Only God can do that. They work by basically influence, setting temptations, placing suggestions, putting these temptations in the path, the eyes, the ears, the path of people. But they cannot change the heart. They can influence, make suggestions, but they have to gain the consent to that temptation. They cannot force or coerce. Even in demon possession, that is the result of people, I submit to you, people initially consenting to the influence of demons in their lives. Not demons coming uh, upon somebody who's living for God, who wants to be faithful to the Lord, and simply overwhelms them, changes their heart, changes their will, their mind, and forces them to do what they don't want to do. No, it's not that way at all. It's kind of like when we think of uh, someone who gets high and then is involved in a, a, a car wreck, runs into another car, and the person in the other car is killed. And the person who was high says, but I'm not responsible. Uh, I was high. Likewise, the same is true with regard to demonic possession, I submit to you. There's at a point, there is a point at which someone began to give their consent to more and more of demonic influence until, again, there was a control and they can't cry at that point, the devil made me do it. They're responsible. Just as the person who's high is responsible, though he may be totally out of control of his senses and his ability, he's responsible. So likewise, I submit to you, those who are demonically possessed uh, have given in consensually, initially, to that influence until gradually, perhaps, there is control of that person. We're always responsible for our own sins. Fourthly, a fourth item about, as we learn more about this enemy of our soul's Satan and his cohorts are indeed knowledgeable, but they are, again, limited in their knowledge, whereas God is omniscient. There's nothing that God does not know intuitively. 
There's nothing that God does not know immediately. All things actual, all things possible, right then and there. He doesn't have to go through a process of thinking. He knows everything immediately. Which means, again, that what Satan does know, he knows by way of observation. And as I said uh, earlier, he knows by way of scouting reports that he receives from his fellow demons. He, he learns. He observes. He's very crafty and uses his knowledge not in a holy or a godly way, but again to the destruction. To try and figure out more and more ways to destroy God's people. More and more ways to resist and oppose the Lord God. Whereas, again, with the Lord, Psalm 147, verse 5, Great is our Lord, and of great power his understanding is infinite. Satan cannot, as I said earlier, cannot read our thoughts. He cannot search our hearts. Only God can search our hearts. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Psalm 139, verses 23 through 24. And so Satan observes our sins, our vulnerabilities, our weaknesses, our strengths. He observes our speech through, again, not because, as we'll see, not because he's omnipresent, but because there, there are many of those who are aligned with Satan. But he observes our speech, our conduct. And those temptations that he sets before us, that he uses against us, by way of the world, or by way of our lustful flesh, come by way of suggestions to us. His suggestions, I submit to you, are stronger than those of mere human beings because mere human beings don't know us as well as Satan knows because of his observation, because of his seeing what most people don't see about us or know about us. So his suggestions, I submit, are stronger as he knows our weaknesses better than any other mere human being. I also noted this earlier, Satan does not know the future in our Old Testament scripture reading. He doesn't know the future. He guesses. And he seeks then, by way of his guesses, to bring about events uh, to pass, to fulfill those guesses that he makes. And that's why so often he's not able to do so. Uh, that's why his prophets fail so often. Uh, that's why, again, because God shows and demonstrates the fact that they're false prophets because their prophecies do not come to pass. Uh, not saying they can't, that God may allow that deception 
on the part of Satan for, for his own reasons. So that Satan guesses, predicts something to happen, then he goes and brings it to pass. And that's, again, when God allows that, that's a, that's a, a means of deceiving people, which, again, if they're, if they're not following the Lord Jesus Christ, if they're not following the truth of God, they'll be much more susceptible to that kind of deception. He may also know the future because he knows the scripture. <laughs> he quoted the scripture, remember the temptations to Christ. He knows the scripture and what it has said in the Old Testament and he's able then, based upon revelation, to, to also prophesy what is to come to pass. But he's, but he's not omniscient. He does not know the future. Only God knows the future. Only God uh, decrees and plans the future. A fifth item. Satan and his wicked hosts are throughout the world, but they are not omnipresent. They're not omnipresent. God, however, transcends all space and beyond space. Even all space that we know of in this universe was created by God. Time and space are God's creation. But God is eternal. He is outside of time though he sent Jesus to be in time as a human being. But God is not confined to time. Neither is God confined to space. Space is a creation. As vast as this universe is, it is a creation of God. And though he fills every particle of space with his entire being. He's not like spread out with part of his being in this location, another part of this location. He fills every part of space with his entire being, but even creation and all space of creation cannot contain him. He even transcends, let's call theologically, not the omnipresence, but the Im immensity of God. He transcends and goes even beyond what he has created. That's why Solomon in 1 Kings 8.27 in his prayer of dedication of the temple prays, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, the heaven and heaven of heavens cannot contain thee. How much less this house that I have built is, that even the universe cannot contain God. That's how great our God is. But like the holy angels of the Lord that are sent to do his will, which are not omnipresent, so likewise the demonic forces are sent on their evil missions to a particular location. There are many of them, but they are not omnipresent. And they do report to the prince of the power of the air, Satan. Sixth item. Satan, like all created spirits, both good 
and fallen, does not grow physically weary or tired. He is relentless because he is a spirit and not physical. He doesn't grow weary. He doesn't grow tired. He, he, uh, again, uh, is relentless in his pursuing of his own evil goals. He is single-minded. He is, he is completely sold out to do evil. You know, it's one thing to face an enemy that becomes weary and needs rest due to physical limitations. But this spiritual enemy never sleeps, doesn't need to get any rest, is always plotting, is always planning how to bring destruction to us, how to bring destruction to God's divine institutions, how to pervert the truth of Jesus Christ in order to deceive, how to set temptations, especially before Christians, to bring about discouragement and despair and hopelessness and to make us ineffective in our lives, in our families, in our jobs, in the church. But at the same time, let us always remember that God neither slumbers nor sleeps. In Psalm 121.3, He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He neither slumbers nor sleeps. Nor do his holy angels, who even outnumber, who are even more numerable, nor do his holy angels slumber nor sleep, nor need rest, whom he sends to strengthen and to help us. Just as the Lord sent Gabriel, and Gabriel touched Daniel and lifted him up at that time, and earlier in chapter 10. So the Lord sends his holy angels to strengthen, to help us, to be with us as well. A seventh item. In facing such a committed enemy, ought this not to move us? all the more to be wholly committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. If he, our enemy, is that committed to all of his evil and to his wickedness, should that make us just to be carefree, uh, to be lax, uh, to be lazy? Is that the response we should have to such an enemy that we know is plotting and planning to seek to deceive, to to delude, to tempt us, to use the world and the flesh to lead us astray? Or should we all the more be committed to the Lord Jesus Christ? Should we more, as Paul says in Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, 
which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your minds, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You see, if we truly understand our enemy, we're not going to want to be less vigilant. We're going to want to be more vigilant and more watchful. We're going to want to lean more upon Jesus Christ throughout the week. We're going to want to commune more with Jesus Christ in prayer. We're going to want to read his word more and to commit to memory more of his word that we might be able to withstand the enemy with the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God that we might be strengthened in this battle against this enemy and that we're going to all the more want to delight to do his will, to walk in obedience to his commandments, not because we have to, but because we delight to do so. And one more matter before the application is this. Just a note, I make these points in the sermon not to build up the enemy or to make the enemy seem invincible because our enemy is not invincible, but rather to make sure that we don't underestimate the enemy. That's a fatal mistake in any battle. It's a fatal mistake in any sport, any game. If you underestimate your opponent, you are going to be in for disaster. You're going to lose. So likewise, if we underestimate this enemy, this spiritual enemy, we're going to know more and more of defeat as Christians in our life rather than victory, rather than overcoming the enemy. So you see, that's just another way in which the enemy gains an advantage in our lives when we underestimate him, when we hardly consider him, when we only focus upon the sins within and the sins we commit, but we don't think in terms of how this enemy is using us to accomplish his purposes when we fall into temptation. Let me leave this application with you as we bring this sermon to a close. Interestingly, we do not read in the Old Testament of explicit demonic possession. You don't find in the Old Testament, the prophets going about and casting out demons uh, as Jesus was casting out demons. That's not to say that there was not demonic possession uh, in, the, in that period of time. I'm, I'm not making a claim of that nature. But isn't it interesting, as far as biblical revelation, that's not emphasized in the Old Testament, but it is emphasized in the ministry of Christ. Continual, continually, the Lord Jesus Christ is confronting the demonic kingdom of Satan 
and he is showing continually that Satan has nothing upon him. In fact, he says, I saw Satan fall. Satan has been placed and all of his, his wicked forces have been placed beneath the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he demonstrated that throughout his ministry. In fact, the Lord, I believe, the, the Lord God brought about those confrontations with those who were demon-possessed for that very purpose, to show that Jesus Christ overcomes the enemy. That we are not bound as God's people. We are not bound and enslaved by the enemy. We've been set free through the power of Christ's death and resurrection and his ascension into heaven. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 28, if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, which he did, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. I'm here as king to take those who were enslaved by Satan in his kingdom and to bring them into my kingdom of light. And in fact, at times, the demons, you will no doubt recall, came out, but they came out with violence. Those demons came out, rending the person with violence and crying out with a loud voice, screaming and shouting as they came out, as in Mark 1.26. And when the unclean spirit had torn him, and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. <clears throat> and likewise in Matthew eight twenty nine, And behold, they cried out, this is the person who was possessed by a legion of demons. Behold, they cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Art thou come hither to torment us before the time? Who had power? The demons say, had has thou come to torment us before the time, before the final judgment? Jesus has supreme authority and power. And their loud voice, and their shrieking, and their shouting, and their rending, those individuals that they possessed only showed they did not want to come out. But they had to, because Jesus said, come out. There was an evidence. There was an evidence of who was king, who had supreme authority. And even Satan's attempt to destroy Christ upon the cross, <clears throat> which was inspired by Satan <clears throat> as he entered into Judas, we're told that night in which Jesus was betrayed and Judas went out and betrayed Christ. It was Satan that entered into Judas. That was even turned. <clears throat> Satan in intended to destroy Jesus. But God, again, shows that he takes every one of those incidents in, where, in which Satan intends to destroy God's people, intends to destroy what he 
what God has instituted. And he shows through his power how he uses even that and turns it around to glorify himself as he did in the death of Jesus. uh, Satan thought he had won. Jesus demonstrated through his death and resurrection that it was really the means by which Satan was clearly defeated. And Colossians 2.15 says, Speaking of Christ's death, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Likewise, in Hebrews 2.14, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he, that is Jesus, also himself, likewise took part of the same flesh, became a man, that through death, notice, he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. And then one, one more thought, and I close. We have a formidable enemy, but dear ones, we have an invincible Savior and King, Jesus Christ, who has delivered us out of Satan's kingdom into the safety and blessedness of his glorious kingdom. We are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us according to Romans 8. Satan can roar like a lion, and he can tempt us. But we are now, dear ones, and for all eternity, held safe near the heart, the loving heart of the Lord Jesus, and in his almighty hand as king, who has already defeated Satan and all his wicked forces through his death, resurrection, and ascension. In John chapter 10, the thief, that is, again, in the, applying this to Satan, the thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Jesus says, I am come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Cast yourself upon the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no neutral ground between Christ and the enemy. There is no neutral ground for any of us to to be there where either those who trust and follow Jesus Christ or we are those, whether we realize it or not, who are following the enemy following Satan to do his will. He wants to make us think we're simply doing our will, following our dreams. But in doing so, when we are not following Christ, we are following the enemy. No neutrality. Let us cast ourselves entirely upon the Lord Jesus today. Please stand with me in prayer. Our Father in heaven, how we praise thee and thank thee for thy revelation, thy truth, which does give to us, Lord, a scouting report 
about the enemy. And Lord, we pray that, that thou would help us not to run in panic and fear, but rather to be forearmed, to be vigilant every day against this enemy. This enemy who seeks uh, to deceive and delude and to lead us astray, but also an enemy that seeks to use governments and nations, uh, to use churches, to use families, uh, to uh, likewise bring reproach upon Jesus Christ. Lord, we, we commit ourselves, we commit our families, we commit our church unto thee. Guide and direct us, our Lord, into thy truth and righteousness. Help us to stand for thee, Lord Jesus, against the enemy and all of his forces. For greater is he that is within us than he that is in the world. Amen.